Hello, I'm Adam and welcome to RetroTube Obscurios, the spin-off podcast in which I invite a guest along for a trip into the murkier and less remembered backwaters of archive television. In this episode I'm joined by Crow Violet, writer, stand-up comedian, cabaret compare, film teacher and connoisseur of the hauntological. Hello Crow, what things have you been working on lately? Hello there Adam, I have been basically writing lots of really long rambly things and doing paintings alongside them at present and I'm also lining up for a horror themed drag show in December which is scaring the living daylights out of me. Brilliant, well that's the best way for a horror themed drag show to be. I hope Scary. it's going to scare me in the right way, yeah, <laughs> hope for the audience as well, but we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, oh, jolly good. Well, today we're looking at Escape Into Night, the 1972 ATV adaptation of Catherine Storr's 1958 children's novel Marianne Dreams. And there's a very specific 1988 reason I've chosen this particular serial, which we're both rather fond of. Paper House. Paper House? Yeah, I completely missed my cue there, didn't I? (laughs) Yes, Paper House, and my brain went completely blank. Which is a really, not jumping ahead to spoil things, but Paper House takes a very different approach to the source material. Doesn't it? Yeah. There's one, again, not wanting to jump ahead, there's one very specific difference. Oh, that very specific difference at the end, yeah, the fairly massive one. Yeah. Yes. Quite huge. It believes that the... TV show is closer to the book. Yeah, it is very much. I don't. I kind of. I deliberately didn't reread the book. I read it a long time ago. I didn't want ah. to sort of contaminate my viewing when I was watching this. But um, it's very close. But there is one significant change that I will come to later on. Right. Which made me slightly grumpy. But not. You know, <laughs> many things make me grumpy. I'm, I'm that kind of person. Yeah, and I think the big difference towards the start. The film is closer to the book in that regards. I don't know if we should reveal already what that is. We should probably say what this is about. Do you want to describe? Absolutely, because there's going to be a lot story. of really baffled people sitting out there going, what are you talking about? <laughs> what on earth is this? So Escape Into the Night is the story of Marianne, who is a girl out on a horse in the pre credit sequence, as I recall, who falls off and breaks her leg quite severely and then is forced to be isolated on a studio set bedroom um, (laughs) for the remainder of the summer, that classic um, 60s and 70s children's book setup, in fact. And along the way, she starts to draw in a special old drawing book with a special old pencil that she finds and discovers that she's basically manipulating a kind of dreamscape every time she draws something and she keeps getting dragged into this dream world where she meets a very troubled young man in pyjamas in a very dark house. And it's yes. very, very odd experience to watch, let me tell you. When we were talking about this recently, you described it as being ITV spooky, and we didn't really elaborate just because I wanted to get your thoughts on that actually live on the podcast. Oh, OK. This, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm very, very fixated on this concept, this sort of idea of ITV spookiness. It's, I think what I mean by it, first of all, any children's production on ITV up until about 1986, is going to start with a station, uh, like a local station, ident of some kind, all of which sounds slightly haunted as it is mm-hmm. and are vaguely terrifying. <laughs> and also the sort of cuts into advert breaks, which have always got some slightly off-centre, haunted-looking sort of <laughs> caption slide. Adverts themselves in the 70s especially have got a very creepy 16 millimeter washed outness to them i remember this really clearly they do don't and they? also mainly which is the fact and a lot of people have said this it's a bit of a cliche but children's um people making children's television in the 70s and the very early 80s really didn't give a damn how much they terrified us as an audience <laughs> and they really just go for it and because they haven't got much money the techniques they use are ones that really get under a kid's skin and the sort of things you have nightmares about as we will see. They seem all the more wrong for being all the more cheap and cobbled together. Yeah. Like Slick, I think that the, the uh, 1990s remake of The Haunting demonstrates that Slick scary is a lot less scary than low-budget, cronky scary. That film makes me very angry. You should probably move away from that topic before I start to <laughs> shout, quite honestly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there's a... Other than the advert breaks and the idents, do you think there's a sort of a, a production difference between BBC Creepy and ITV Creepy? I think there is. It's quite hard to put, a, put my finger on. I think BBC Creepy, especially back in that decade, has still got a little bit of the sort of tendency of point a camera at a stage set sometimes. Mm. Or just, it's quite locked down. And whilst this is on a very 
Yeah, once again, it's very. This is very studio bound, but it's got quite a fast pace to it that sometimes you don't get in BBC 70s stuff. It's got a fast pace in places. I would rather say the editing is fast rather than the storyline, perhaps. No, the, <laughs> yeah, the storyline goes... Yeah, <laughs> six weeks this, like, just... Yes. It does that classic thing whereby there's a whole episode where nothing happens because they need to fill six weeks. <laughs> yeah, certainly one of my notes deep into the six-episode run was that this could definitely have been four episodes. You really could. You really could. Yeah. Paper half's like an hour and 25 minutes long or something, so it tells essentially the same stories in a different ways. Pretty much, yeah. I, I don't quite have it catalogued in my brain sufficiently, but I wonder if BBC Creepy around this sort of time was more historical mm. and ITV was more contemporary, because ITV was the Children of the Stones and yeah uh, those sorts of things wasn't it i'm the king of the castle springs to mind later in the decade mm. as well king beats whatever it's called yeah and children of the stones of course yeah they do tend to sort of hit that this is shadows as well that was another one which is largely contemporary filmed at that point but yeah bbc would often do things that were sort of you know period dramas or the victorian ghosts victorian ghost children was a big bbc mm. one e nesbit rather yeah Phoenix in the carpet, which was creepy because it was like a little animated puppet. But yeah, that's a very good point. We're, it, is a very, it is a very contemporary set story, this one as well. It's all early 1970s suburban bedroom views and things like that and rainy days and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think sort of maybe the BBC still had this idea of the more kind of hammer view of horror and spookiness that Victorian and Edwardian and just old things were. You know, old haunted houses, old creaky mansions were the spooky things, whereas possibly ITV has the idea that it's a, you know, a, a suburban cottage or a, a council estate which can hold the spooky stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, I suppose it's like the same deal as they've got with Dixon of Doc Green on BBC One and the Sweeney on ITV at this point. <laughs> yes. uh, this, um, the Sweeney's um, Escape into the Night is probably not best compared to the Sweeney, to be honest with you. If you come into it looking for fast-paced action and you know, Regan and Carter, you're probably going to be let down a lot of points yeah. there. It was quite good fun, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely interesting to watch. Uh, and I sort of regret a little bit that I know the film quite well because my mind was always comparing it all the way through. Yeah. And it would have been interesting to be able to come to this completely fresh without knowing anything about it, rather than thinking, oof, film did that a bit more tightly, or that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, they are, and they are, they are filling time, though. They've, got, they've clearly got a schedule to fill, mm. which is ironic. Again, I'm jumping ahead, but right at the end, they start cutting really important things out of the storyline. Like, could you not have got this in, like, a few weeks ago, maybe? But anyway, I'll Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh. Yes, I haven't read the book. So you've read the book and I haven't. Oh, yeah, I remember it quite clearly. It's a very intense read. Nice. I may have to read it then. It's, it's good. The other thing about this is that it's in black and white, but it was originally shown in colour. Yeah, and the black and white does not help taking that spooky edge off it all at all, does it? That's really creepy and sometimes hard to see what's happening. Yeah, I think it's a particularly contrasty transfer. Yeah. So that the dark bits are really dark. I mean, I guess it's mainly shot on video by the look of it, as far as I can yeah, see. Yeah, I think so. And it would, I think if we'd got the colour print of it, it would take a lot of the kind of haunting edge out of that slightly. Some of the more creepy things later on, them, to be precise, yes. will come to, come to them, people, <laughs> don't worry. They would look a lot less threatening in colour video, I think. But again, mm. I'm spoiling it and jumping ahead because a lot of the exciting stuff happens a lot later on. That's probably why we're doing that. <laughs> the only thing I miss about black and white is the fact that Marianne's bedroom is incredibly floral. It is, isn't it? Her curtains are floral, her walls are floral, her pyjamas are floral, her mother is very floral, so the whole thing would be this amazing kaleidoscope of clashing colours. Absolutely. And while we're on the switch of Marianne's bedroom, let me just look at one of my notes here, which says, a character says to Marianne, what a lot of dolls you've got. And we see an awful lot of dolls. And I'm really scared of Marianne at that point because she looks like she's going to murder someone with all those dolls, quite frankly. <laughs> it's a really creepy amount of dolls it's more dolls than anyone should probably have and they're all staring at the camera <laughs> yeah she's a little bit of a spoilt child she's really annoying she's really <laughs> annoying oh my goodness right now sit up and we'll see what we can do for you here use this you look as though you've got a bird's nest up there that's better now what's up i want to get up and i want to go back to school i'm in the school play at the end of term 
And I've missed a whole week of rehearsals. I'm afraid you won't be going back to school this term. Not going back? No. Now, you're going to be very brave and sensible, Marianne. You see, you have a slight fracture. But if you get up now, you may have a wonky leg for the rest of your life. Well, I'd rather have a wonky leg than stay in bed another day. I would say all but one of the characters in this is really annoying. Yeah, the, yeah, pretty much. The, my notes just keep saying that my notes keep making very, very pejorative comments about cast members, about characters, not cast members. Yeah. For example, like Marianne's doctor, for example, who mm. um, gives delivers some classic lines like, "I don't have much time for people who won't talk to me." It's like that'll be traumatised children then, doctor. Because <laughs> like, that's kind of who you're talking to at the moment. She's had a major injury. He's he's very old fashioned, isn't he? The doctor. He is. And he points at her head and goes, you look as though you've got a bird's nest, referring to her hair. as like, oh, great, yeah, that's going to do it. Self-esteem wonders. Thanks for that, Doc. Yeah, although judging by Marianne's mum, I think he's there every other week. Just if oh, he as much as sniffs, Marianne's mum's on the phone going, Dr. Burton, is his name Dr. Burton? It is, yeah, I think. Were you annoyed by Marianne's mum, by any chance? Intensely. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> every single thing. And she, it's like, your daughter's in the hospital with a massive injury. Please be nice to her just for a little bit. But no. She's extremely brittle. She's a very brittle lady. She's very brittle. She looks, she's sort of clenching her lips together the whole throughout the entire <laughs> six weeks. That's going to hurt your jaw sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, she's one of those very uptight, upper middle class ladies. She is. I can't help thinking that you're partly to blame for Marianne's present state. Well, I'm sorry you should feel that, Mrs. Austin. I've done my best to help Marianne. All this business with Mark upsets her. Well, you can hardly blame me because another child is ill. Well, you didn't have to tell her about it. She's got enough on her plate with her own illness. And come to that, so have I. Dr. Burton said that lessons with you would help her keep her mind off illness. But as far as I can see, all it's done is made her think of it more. I don't agree, Mrs. Austin. She's done well at her lessons. And it's perfectly natural that she should want to know about my other pupils. It's just unfortunate that one of them happens to be ill. Well, goodness knows what you said to her. She wasn't crying when you went up there. Well, I can hardly tell her lies. Did she ask you about Mark? Yes, she did. And I had to tell her his condition is very serious. Well, I'm sorry about that, but I'm worried about my own child. Uh, I don't, I, actually, going by their house, I don't think they are upper middle, but she has that sort of air of, oh, come on now, Marianne, stop messing around. Your Mummy's going to cry now. And she's getting very tense about everything. And, oh, and no one's having a very good time at all. She's really not. It's I, I felt quite bad for them all. And then I was like, I do, would not want to socialise with any of these people in the slightest. <laughs> Marianne is awful. Yeah, Marianne's <laughs> annoying, but you can see where she gets it from. You really can. You can see why she's the way she is. It being the 70s, they make a little bit of a subtle deal about the fact that her father's absent a lot and kind of, the, I almost feel as a suggestion that's part of the problem. Mm. that it's, it's effectively a single-parent household. And if only Dad would come home from working wherever in some nebulous... It says where he's working, doesn't it, at some point? Is he in Morocco? Remember. Something like that, yeah. There's that hint that, like, they're kind of saying, like, well, if you will keep away from home, then the, your children will grow up really, really, really aggressive and angry the whole time. <laughs> and she just gets... This is just the family before we even got into all the spooky stuff. <laughs> yes. When she gets into the spooky stuff, oh, we're like, whoa, calm down. Because her response is not to be frightened by the dreamscape or to sort of be full of wonder and instant magic. Her response is just to have a go at the people that she meets, the person that she meets there, completely lay into them <laughs> straight just away. She launches in, a, in on an offensive straight away. So you got an after all? Yes. Well, wake up and tell me how I did it. How I did what? Well, got in, of course. I didn't let you in. So who did? Well, I just opened the door. And there are stairs. You said there weren't any when I was talking to you outside. There weren't. They must have come since. How could they? How could you be up here and the stairs come afterwards? They must have been here all the time. You just didn't want to come down and let me in. No, I didn't. But there weren't any stairs. Why didn't you want to let me in? This is the big difference, certainly between the film and the TV adaptation. And I, I, I believe the book in the TV adaptation is is what is wrong with Marianne. So in the film, Marianne's ill. Yeah. And that's why she's stuck in bed for a long time. Absolutely. I, can't, I think it's an unspecified condition in the book. In fact, I believe, as I remember, there's kind of a hint that the, the, whatever's wrong with her is in some way supernatural or something like that, like it's taken her into the dream world. She collapses at one point in a tunnel. That's right, yeah. it's There's, there's this suggestion that she's sort 
sort of she's got some unidentified fever and they, they very carefully keep it nebulous as to what it is mm. as to why it's happening but yeah so but in this one she's just sort of laid up with a broken leg and that's and it's a really interesting choice because some of the later sequences are kind of a bit there's feverish and sort of psychedelic hallucinatory and it's it's kind of coming because she's got a broken leg which doesn't <laughs> entirely work that well someone stopped editing at that point didn't they <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think because the the book she's ill, isn't she? Yeah, I yeah. So they, they've obviously made some kind of de- decision somewhere along the line that she's not going to be ill. She's going to be this rather posh equestrian girl mm-hmm. who falls off her horse and is stuck in bed. Oh, mummy, I've broken my leg. Whatever shall we do? Yeah. Who will feed Posy now? <laughs> but other than oh. that, she's other than the, a bit of a break, she's perfectly fine. But she does become more and more feverish as it goes along. For no apparent reason. Yeah, apart from she's getting a bit upset and flustered about things. Mm. Apparently, that's what's that's kind of what the doctor says, which makes me wonder if his um, if his medical qualifications are all that. <laughs> yeah, and it it doesn't quite fit the same as if she's actually ill. It doesn't work, does it? Yeah, and I I think the characterization of Mary she she's Anna in the film, so it's it's a different the character's got a different name, which will make it a slightly easier comparing them <laughs> talking yeah. about them that Anna is, she's a lot more likeable. She very much is. She has a little bit right at the start of Paper House, which is kind of sulky teenager in school. Mm. And then after that, she's a character we, we don't mind spending time with on screen. And Marianne's not. <laughs> really, really yeah. not that role. And I think even the sulky teenager, she's a bit of an outsider. She's a bit troubled. And she's a bit more vulnerable and a bit yeah. more interesting. And she's not just spoilt and horsey. Like Marianne is. There are stairs. You were all about the stairs. Must have come since. Is this at you then? You shouldn't be here. I knew I should have made you more cheerful. I drew you. This house, the stairs, everything. Come and have a look. Come on. I can't walk. Well, of course, I didn't draw you any legs. From there, she goes into the dream world, of course, which is huge and dark and spooky. My notes on this bit, because she draws a house in a book and then dreams about it, and my notes read, the place called House has manifested. Because that's <laughs> kind of what happens. It's sort of like a, a drawing house appears and it sort of merges with an actual house somewhere in a very dark and spooky, desolate plain. Yeah. And that's where she finds herself stuck, whereupon, as I recall, she starts yelling up at, at the house to see what happens. And there she meets, in this house, Mark with his hair. Mark and his hair. His hair and his pyjamas. It's a fascinating thing. and But he's not called Mark because he won't tell her who he is at this point. He refuses to give her his name. That's he's... right, because he, he is also puzzlingly aggressive and confrontational. They're not a good mix at this point in the story, are they? <laughs> they the loathe slightest. each other. Inexplicably loathe each other. They just take an instant dislike. It's really funny. Please, if you can, people, watch this thing because it's really funny. They just meet and there's no sort of like, oh, hi, who are you? It's just like, well... Just, they're just squaring <laughs> off each of them minute one. I wrote down, it, it feels a bit sapphire and steel at this point, because it's like mysterious child in a dark house with secrets. And he's kind of like, yes, I've got secrets written on his T-shirt, basically. <laughs> and he has uh, he has a bit of a Paul Weller haircut. Well, it's sort of like Steve Marriott, 1970 era. It's a haircut. lot of hair. Yeah, it's, Marianne gets told she's got a bird's nest haircut. Wow. If that doctor had ever seen Mark, like, the sarcasm would have gone off the scale. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's kind of like the first episode, effectively, there, and the elements of it. What I've got here in my notes as well, and something that really sprung out of me, I've just remembered, is the fact that it gets to the end of the episode, and it finishes, and this is haunted 70s TV, the end credits! <laughs> Those end credits, what is that? I would have been screaming out of that front room back then. The end credits are like, there's no real music. It's like a child's voice going, nah, 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 or whatever. Mm. And there are drawings, really bad child's drawings of the main cast that slowly fade into actual photo stage photographs. And it's really horrible. <laughs> it's really, really horrible. Yeah, it does set up the atmosphere. By the end of the first episode and you have those end credits, you're in full-on child horror. Oh, Yeah. I did think there's a hint of that right when she falls off the horse. She rides past a standing stone under a pylon. 
on video in 1972 or whatever, I was like, could it actually get any more peak ontology than that? <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's a beautiful moment. Yeah, well, did, you, did you sort of get any indication of why there's a close-up of the rock she doesn't land on? Are we supposed to just kind of assume she did land on it, but they can't possibly actually get a child to land on a rock? But there's a very portentous close-up of a rock just before she falls off the horse. And I don't know if the horse was a bit spooked by the rock or something, but she lands three feet from the rock. Well, I'm thinking if you stick a sort of rock or standing stony thing in a 70s drama, you are implying like uh, ancient supernatural forces <laughs> are awaking. Also, of course, the rock slash standing stone vibe is very important later on in the story. So I'm wondering yeah. if it's a sort of fear image for her. Or as if there's a sense that this rock is what's making everything happen in some way. But like so much else in Escaping Tonight, they don't explain it. And they don't, they don't explain, explain it anyway. They don't explain it, do they? No. They just, <laughs> just kind of forget about it. Rather than saying, we're not going to tell you this, they'd be like, yeah, though, you should probably explain that, but we're not going to. It's full of absences and bits that are missing, I think. One character we haven't mentioned yet is the only likeable character in it. Miss Chesterfield. Yeah. Also known as Miss Winters from Miss, Robot. I could not believe that. I mean, I often get this because I have I suffer, I suffer I have face blindness and often don't make the link. But in this case, I had to go and literally double check. Like, really? No, it is. It's Miss Winters from Robot. They're very different, aren't they? Yeah, Patricia Maynard. Yeah, and she's great. She's really mm. good. She's the only one you like at all, and she has a rough time of it, doesn't she? She really does. I mean, admittedly, she's teaching with she. she so she's Marianne's sort of. They refer to her as a governess at first, and then suddenly <laughs> drop that and go like because of realizing it, it's eighteen seventy. <laughs> And so she's the sort of like visiting teacher who, may I point out, I teach, don't teach with your back to the class, Miss Chesterfield, because that's when Marianne falls asleep and goes off into the other dimension. And don't talk with your back to her. It's only one, there's only one person in your class. And also don't just list facts about Africa. <laughs> that lesson's great. Can yeah, she's some... essentially just reading out Wikipedia. And then says, I'll expect an essay from her about this. <laughs> about these boring facts. Africa is a continent. Do you know what a continent is? Yes. And do you know where the name Africa comes from? No. Well, I expect you know that Africa is one of the five continents. It has a long and troubled history and has terrible problems to deal with now. I expect you know something of the fighting which has been going on there, but in order to be able to understand it, you must know something of the history. And please listen, Marianne, because you're going to have to write all of this out for me. The name Africa was first given by the Romans to the northern coast which they conquered. Carthage is the capital of these provinces. Marianne, are you listening or drawing? She doesn't notice that Marianne's fallen asleep repeatedly as well. No, she doesn't seem to. She doesn't seem to or doesn't care. There's this kind of. It, it keeps doing. The, initially, it's quite rare. There's a kind of a sound effect and shots of the moon and things. This this sort of transition from the, the suburban bedroom world into the spooky house on the moors world. Hmm. And it's really good at first, but then in later episodes, it happens about 15 times. It starts to wear on the nerves a little bit by that point. It's like, yeah, we get it. Just cut. I think towards the end, they forget that she's supposed to be falling asleep and they just have it as a parallel reality that's going on. Yeah. But I do like how trippy it is towards the end. It's kind of the the crisscrossing of waking and sleep and the bit, bit where some, sometimes you see the characters who are in the real world but because she's asleep and hearing the characters they're pictured inside this dark void and they're in a spotlight and their voices are echoey and oh i love that that's, that's a favorite trope of mine that is she's it's quite trippy isn't it it's quite yeah. nicely done one thing i did i mean i'm sound like i'm attacking it one thing they don't explain that i, I do really like is there is very deliberately no explanation for what this other reality is or if it's created by someone just the hint that it's a very old pencil and piece of paper that she draws with and what we've kind of not touched on at all this far in is that every time Marianne draws something with the special pencil in the book that thing is then in the house and this starts mm. really well and quickly goes very very not well <laughs> because if you've got that here's, here's a little here's a little sort of PSA for everyone listening right if you've got that power and you've got that ability and you keep finding yourself involuntarily transported into a huge dark dream world. My advice to you is don't draw some monsters. Don't do <laughs> that. That's going to go wrong. Yeah, don't just draw one thing at a time. Like, oh, wait, now I'll draw a bike and then go back to sleep. Draw all the stuff while you're awake. Draw some lights. Yeah. Yeah. Draw some, some light. The sun, maybe. Just a thought there. <laughs> 
Where's the sun in this picture? Not seeing it. You could just so you could solve a lot of the plots by just putting the sun at the top. Because night is a big theme here. Yeah, that was one of my thoughts. Why is it called Escape into Night? It's quite a generic title. It's evocative and generic at the same time. It means absolutely no. I mean, I'm guessing it's a reference, spoilers, to part six, in which they literally escape into the night. But, um, but they're in the night. They're in the night anyway, because yeah. they're in the house. And it may just be that she's escaping from her mundane, bedridden reality into this night world Possibly. of her. Yeah, actually, that no, makes sense. Okay, that, yeah, makes perfect sense, thinking about it. But the fact that she and Mark hate each other so much doesn't seem like much of an escape. Oh, yeah, they do. It's not much fun, is it, at all? It's, this, no. isn't, this isn't some happy fantasy land. This is be, it's, it's like hell is of the people, basically. You have been locked in a room with someone <laughs> you really, really don't get on with. Just as real as Miss Chesterfield telling me that you like reading. Doesn't make any difference whether I do or I don't, does it? It's nothing to read. But you do, don't you? Do what? Like reading. You're lazy. You won't do your exercises because they hurt. I wish you'd leave me alone. I wish I could. I wish I didn't have to be here. And you're a coward. And you're a horrible little girl saying things about me you don't even know who I am. That's why you can't walk. You won't do your exercises. Yes, I do. I do them all the time. Then you're not Miss Chesterfield's mark. I'm not anybody's mark. I'm me. And anyway... What do you know about Miss Chesterfield? She's my teacher. No, she's not. She's mine. And if you think she's yours, tell me what she's like. Why should I? You never believe anything I say. And then back in the real world, there's the, do you think of the, the bit with the roses? Oh, yes. And she throws a total tantrum. Yeah, so Miss Chesterfield has another pupil who we never get to see in the waking world, who is the mysterious Mark from the house, who is very, very ill. It's polio he's got, isn't it? I believe it's I believe it's sight has been polio, I think. Marianne certainly says polio. She becomes immensely, immensely possessively jealous over the fact that Miss Chesterfield goes to visit Mark in hospital as well. Mark buys her some roses and Marianne goes berserk. <laughs> she's bought um yes, she's bought Miss Chesterfield some roses as well, but not as many. Not as many, not as nice, and just well, I presume not, it's in black and white, but and she throws the roses she throws Mark's roses on the floor. It's like this is a gift from a sick child to a to a loving teacher. Like, I child. It's horrible. It's really disturbing. This works better in the film, I think, because she, Anna in the film does have the occasional tantrum, but she's ill and a bit feverish, so it sort of works that she's not really herself. She's not quite right. Yeah, whereas this Marianne is just angry in bed, basically. <laughs> Her mum says at this point, she's a very cheerful child doctor, and my notes say, is she though? Because she really isn't. That's not my first impression of Marianne at all. She's not that much of a cheerful kid, I don't think. I get the impression that she's the class swat stroke class snitch. Yeah. She's the kid that'll tell on you. You can imagine everyone at the school's like, ah, <laughs> six weeks. Oh, yes. Six weeks of bliss. It's like, we're, it's like we're on holiday. We're free. We're free of Marianne and the dolls and the fear. And the horses. She's talking yeah. about horses again. <laughs> she says up at school on a horse, I'm telling you. I'm sure she does. <laughs> In her jodpers. Yeah, kicking children out of the way on the horse from horseback. <laughs> but she's also a fan of Tony Curtis. She is. She really likes... Yeah, there's that... Uh, <laughs> that, that huge a poster picture. of Tony Curtis. It's a very big Tony Curtis poster. Was that standard for... Teenagers in, or preteens in the early seventies? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's um, a persuaders thing. That would be good. Yeah, I she can imagine what persuaders. Pers- There's no upstairs TV though. She has no television at all, so she's she's isolated. Back in those days, we had the one big telly downstairs. That'd have been awful because the big thing about being off school, as everyone from my generation will know, is you get to watch school's television on BBC Two, and you get to watch all the weird, horrible bits of the stuff they took out for that which is just as scary as this yeah and all the polish animations they randomly showed during the day and all that yeah marianne doesn't get that it's very sad i think that's a good excuse but it's not really a good excuse for what she draws because she gets so angry with mark that she draws some boulders with eyes outside the house guarding this and she says something like oh now you'll never get out you really are a pretty you are really scary child marianne i'm sorry and clearly we're thinking, oh yeah, things come to life that she draws with the pencil. I'm <laughs> glad this one won't backfire on you horribly in the near future. <laughs> yeah, and a bit later on, she scrubs out Mark's face with the pencil, with a pencil. 
Which luckily doesn't kill him. Yeah, none of that's nice. And she's, she scribbles out the um, the windows as well. So the rest, you get this weird expressionist set and now starts to appear where you've got these huge black scribble patterns over the windows on the set, which is a very minimal set anyway. I wonder, we said this already, but I wonder how much of that set we're missing from the really contrasty black and white transfer because it is just blackness. Yeah. Essentially with two children in it. I can't imagine that they would have filmed that at that time, especially, I can't imagine it's that drab because there was a huge push for filming in colour to sell colour TV sets mm. and justify the expense of upgrading the equipment. So everything would have been filled with as much colour as possible. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm guessing brown. I'm thinking browns and greys and the grimy. It feels grimy, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it it, it is quite evocative. It's, it's, it's an effective oh. contrast between the two because it is only it there, there are no apart from the brief outdoor bits at the very beginning and the very end there's there's absolutely no other locations than marianne's bedroom the stairway and hallway of her house and then her dream house and that's and just outside the dream house and that's literally six episodes takes place in that environment with five characters so it's a tad claustrophobic it really is even towards the end when they're out so they're in the dream world in a different place that's even more claustrophobic because it's literally the width of the camera of the shot the, the, isn't it the little yeah. set of setup there it's literally the width of the shot and that's very strange as well and that's they kind of mess a bit of the narrative there i think in my opinion it's when it gets sort of towards the second half, there's this sort of pausey bit in the middle where they lose the magic book for a bit and Marianne has endless... Marianne and the mum have endless rows and Marianne's mum, Miss Chesterfield, gets gets victimised by Marianne's mum. The doctor turns up in the very middle of the night, like magically out of nowhere. And it sort of slows down and then they pick up the sort of the, the children's horror pace towards the end. Yes. That's when it gets really good, I thought. Those stones with eyes, Marianne first looks out the window and sees them and they open their eyes and look at her. And that's really, that's the sort of thing that terrifies everybody in the little <laughs> stones and glowing eyes. The image of Marianne, this is kind of like a still image of her superimposed into the eye at the very cliffhanger. There's a frame, isn't there? They framed the shot with like some, presumably some fake stone to suggest like that's what, and it zooms. The, the eyes have got zoom features on them. Yes. That's how scary these things are. And then after that, they start to talk, and you can hear their voices over the radio, and they are horrible. It's sort of quite Dalek-y, aren't they? They're really Dalek-y. They're, they're like... We're ev- coming. We're, We're coming. They're a bit like my absolute biggest fear of all time from children's which is Zippy off Rainbow. They remind me a little <laughs> bit of that as well. I'm terrified of Zippy. Absolutely of course, yeah. Who was also a Dalek. You mustn't look at me. No, I look funny. I've got measles. If I let you see, you won't laugh, will you? Promise? All right. You're laughing. I know you are. I can't help it. Absolutely, Royce. I didn't look into the voices of these, actually. But yeah, you hear this like, we're coming, we're coming. And this radiophonic echo on it, and it's really horrible. And then they also say things like, we're going to get you, we're going to get... They just repeat over and over again. And it's always in the background. They have these sounds, the weird sort of music concrete sounds in the background as well, throughout all the dream bits of it. It never goes quiet. There's always some kind of cacophony going on. It's a very burbling soundscape, yeah. And one thing that I really liked about the, the kind of the monsters as well is the fact that Mark, the, the series is very explicit. Like Mark says, they're going to kill us, and he repeats it over and over again. And it never explains what these things are, apart from Marianne is in some way created them, or what they're doing, or how they move, because <laughs> they're just standing so. Or how they'll kill them. Yeah, because at one point they destroy a bike, don't they? We don't actually see it happen. We see the crunching sounds, which is a bit grim. Oh, yeah, maybe they roll over it or something. Are they, they're the Ogre from Stones of Blood in Doctor Who. Of course, yeah. That's exactly what they are. <laughs> so they're not in the film, are they? They're not. Oh, it's a sort of terrifying father figure in the film, isn't it, as I recall? Dad, come in, it's getting dark! Anna? Is that you? Yes! I'm blind! Lennox. Anna, he's moving, he's got a hammer! 
Which I actually like more. I think it's more psychological. The film is more psychological. Yeah. Generally, I think. The film doesn't have the magic pencil. It doesn't. No, that's very true. And I think the magic pencil does make it a bit more prosaic. I think so. And the whole thing about, oh, yes, this is in, this was in my grandmother's sewing box or whatever. It's like, ah, oh, it's a magic old thing from the past. And whereas yes. the utterly inexplicable aspect... Paperhouse plays up the utterly inexplicable, basically. And Escaping Tonight just ignores things. doesn't actually work with it at all. <laughs> uh, they, they just cut things really fast. Yeah, just get on to the next episode. It's fine. Don't worry about that. So the actual escape into the night part, into night part, that really annoys me. It's escaping tonight, not escaping to yes. the night. That really irritates me. It's like the film Dead of Night. Escape into night. Like, into the night. Not, <laughs> I don't know why it gets my nerves. I've been calling it escape into the night for years. I didn't realise it's not actually called that. By the way, on that subject, here's a thing that would have scared all kids in the audience. The opening credits that spell out escape into night move like ghosts in cartoons do. That, they do, would have, don't they? that would have got me. That would have left me feeling really unsettled. And this sort of video, like sort of like CSO'd on the top of the images, aren't they? The chroma keyed in. I've had a look at it, and it's yeah. I didn't see it at the time. I was I wasn't even born when it was. Me on. neither. Me neither. Just it does seem like one of those things that would frit me to ribbons. I'm just thinking about what sort of comparable TV from that time. Uh, Ace of Wands is sort of from around that era. I think it's from the same something crew rather involved. And Ace of Wands is good, but it doesn't have that creepy edge at all, even though it's by PJ Hammond, the magnificent PJ Hammond, one of my favourite TV authors ever, who created Sapphire and Steel and the good bits of Torchwood. But <laughs> controversial. But Ace of Wands doesn't have the same, but it's, it's a lot of the same production values. It doesn't have this really odd dreamlike quality but at the same time Maria uh, escaping tonight rather it hasn't got a lot beyond the surface has it it looks like it's got loads going on but it actually hasn't and maybe I'm expecting too much of a children's tv series in 1972 but you know no I think you're right and again sort of because we have paper house to compare it to which is something that stays with you and it does feel it, it it's it is about things it's about fa- her family and her, it's very specifically about the absent father and her loneliness and her feeling like an outsider and she has a much better relationship with the mark in this story they're less antagonist antagonistic they're a little bit crab- crabby with each other but not nearly to the same extent of course paper house is a significantly different ending yes massive but i don't really want to spoil paper house for anybody but it's got a very different ending with a very different emphasis it does yeah i that's this is the trouble with it i yeah like i say if no if no one's seen paper house it's such a good film i don't want to spoil it but it's not quite a significant difference between the two that one is a lot more upbeat and the other one's a lot more downbeat in the way things play out. Yeah, just a little bit. The ending to Paper House was a huge... I remember it was in a really emotional viewing to watch that film. I asked what I said. I mean, in my late teens when I saw it, it was like a really emotional, unexpectedly emotional kick, mm. which I, I was just thought I was going to watch some, like, creepy drawings come to life horror film, and it's it's not at all. Whereas Escaping Tonight doesn't really have any other emotional kick apart from getting vaguely irritated and wanting to... <laughs> Just like, you just shut up at various characters throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I think it is the acting. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to dump on child actors, but they are at that level of, there's no subtext, so any dialogue that seems a bit argumentative or confrontational, they will play at the intensity of absolute loathing. They're stage kids, that's what it is. They're playing for the back of the theatre, not for the camera six feet in front of them. Also, if I may just steal from the regular thread of RetroTube, mm. I'm not sure. Did I detect a secret scouser with those kids at one point? I was thinking exactly the same thing. Mark, yeah, he hasn't had other roles. He's he's quite a mysterious actor. I looked, yeah, I looked them all up as well, and they're, they're not many of them have done anything else, including <laughs> the adults as well in some cases. Yeah. Yes, no, I thought that as well, that like he's quite rather but there is does seem to be a northern accent a bit of a scouse accent slipping through there i thought there is a bit with marianne as well which suggests to me they went to the same stage school to recruit everyone for this marianne is played by i forget the actress's name did you write it down she was in the young ones was she yeah she played a character along the lines of bent and toothless old hag oh my goodness which episode you wonder which episode of the young ones that is marianne's played by vicky chambers yeah uh she was in Star Cops. Oh, Star Cops. 
I'd, I'd love Star Cops. I really like it. It's just vanished from BritBox, actually, as well, to my great distress. And a DVD oh, box it? set oh. is really expensive. <laughs> oh, young one. Yeah, aged and toothless and bent old crone uh, in the <laughs> episode Nasty. Oh, yeah. She's at the start in the opening credits, I think, oh. if it's who I'm thinking of. But yes, I think the most the most familiar character, or the most familiar actor to us, to us is Patricia Maynard. Good morning, Miss Winters, Miss Winters, Miss Winters. <laughs> oh, that's a triple reference. There we go. Fantastic. <laughs> Then we get the actual escape into the night, don't we, towards the end, when they they have to try and cycle across the moorland towards a lighthouse that Marion has created because the, the creatures, the stone people, can't stand light. And they go, mm. the light! And that's a tense sequence, but it doesn't have to go on. It's like, it needs an edit. Also, the trouble I found with it was that we don't really know what's at stake. Yeah. Because even if the stones kill them in the dream... Is that going to kill them in real life? It's never really specified. Or is she just going to wake up and everyone's going to be fine? Yeah, I, I kind of got the feeling, my interpretation, which is not, and it's not clear in the slightest, is that if the stones get them, then Mark will die of whatever his condition is. That's right. Kind of what I, yeah, what that would... Yeah, that would, yeah. his illness, basically, manifesting. What, they're actually, what they actually are manifesting is Marianne's complete lack of any social skills because she <laughs> created the things in the first place. <laughs> but, you know... Did you notice anything peculiar about the sort of the resolutions then at the end? With I was wondering if if, if it because I know the story because I've, right, I've okay. read the book and I've seen Paper House. I know a lot about the story and I can see there's something fairly significant missing from the end of it. I think unless I just completely zoned it out. Did you notice something weird about the resolution? I'm trying to remember. Not to put you on the spot. Yeah, I no, to... I I maybe just can't quite remember the resolution. It seemed to. Be... Like you say, it seemed a bit rushed. Yeah, well, they, they sort of get into Lighthouse and they start having a magical time as Marianne creates all these amazing things for them. Oh, yes. And then Mark says, we need to leave, but we can't stay here. We need to leave. We need to go on somewhere else. And he suggests that she draw a helicopter, but she can't. And then she says, oh, I'll, I'll draw the pencil. So the pencil will come here and I'll loop, but I'll lose it forever in that case. And that effect. And we're building up to some sort of big revelation. And that's the last it mentions of it. And it just stops. The whole dream world stuff just stops about there. Oh. In the book, there's a whole thing with that happening. And there's, again, being vague by necessity. There's a sort of equivalent thing in Paper House that happens around that point. But Escaping Tonight was like, oh, yeah, let's do that. Anyway, back to normal. And then just resumes the plot line. The regular world plot line. Step away from the edge, Anna. <laughs> There's also the voice that was calling out and giving them advice in the end as well. It was like, a, a, oh yeah, I think it was a mum. I that was it. I was trying to work out who was who was calling advice. Yeah, her mum or Miss Chambers? No, Miss Winters. Is it Miss Chesterfield? I don't Miss know. Chesterfield, yeah. yeah, possibly. Or it's it's some sort of like welcome. Go now, go now, go. Now. It's like a car alarm going off. Go now, intercut, of course, with the monsters going. <laughs> and it's. It's a full-on cacophony. Old man sampling and something bizarre with it, but it's 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 probably a little bit full-on if you're sitting about six inches away from a TV in 1972. Yeah. Every time they say Miss Chesterfield, I always just think of William Hartnell. <laughs> I thought that as well. Like, yeah, <laughs> Chesterfield. Ah, oh, Miss Chesterton. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Chesterton, just... <laughs> In the film, of course, they combine characters, so they don't bother with the teacher. Yeah. They just have a visiting doctor who, one of her patients is Mark. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it makes much more sense than having two completely separate visiting characters. But, of course, they've gone down the whole route of having her breaking her leg, so she doesn't actually need a scheduled doctor's appointment, even though the poor man's dragged yeah. her every five minutes by his, <laughs> her hysterical mother. Yeah, She looked absolutely. at me funny, doctor. <laughs> What's oh happening? God. I think... Because there is a moment at the very, very end where, again, I'll put the spoiler tag here, but she does glimpse the real Mark cycling past on his bicycle and she does a little smile. And that could be incredibly poignant if they'd had any chemistry whatsoever. <laughs> they haven't. And they would sort of just, they kind of make eye contact for a second and then they both look slightly puzzled. And I think in my imagination, what's actually happening there is they're kind of like, oh, God, no, it's Mark in the real world. <laughs> Just pretend. I haven't seen, haven't seen him, haven't seen him. No, 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 no. And that's all we get. Mm. And it's obviously filmed the same day as they filmed the horse riding accident as well. It's, they've just done a quick shoot there to, 
sort of top and tail the whole series. I think there's this whole idea of drama is conflict and, and writers taking that incredibly literally, that to be dramatic you have to have people arguing all the time, and that isn't really what that means. And the whole thing would have worked much more powerfully had they had much more of a rapport and had liked each other a lot more from the outset. Yeah. And it would have given more weight to the times they did have disagreements, but also you'd have been rooting for them to... Because there's a whole poignancy of meeting someone in a dream and getting along with them really well and having a connection and then waking up and like, was that a real person? Was that just part of my imagination? Absolutely, yeah. Those the, When you dream about people and it's such an intense experience, that's something we can all... It's something we've all had, like you mm. wait, you, if you dream friends or whatever... I mean, that is just me. I've just confessed that live <laughs> on Retro Shield Studios. You heard it here no, first. No, no, exactly. Profile, it has dream friends. Yes, I do. <laughs> and, but it's something we can all connect to. It's an experience we can all understand and relate to. But they do nothing with it. They just abandon it. It's like, oh, yeah, there we they, go. They actually Time hate each other. And I don't think they yeah. like each other Yeah, at it, all. it could have been really poignant and really affecting. And it does work a lot better in the film again. Sorry. <laughs> and in the book as well. It's a great relic of that sort of 1970s ITV children's horror. And also, we've got to remember that there's the mistake which people I make all the time, especially working with serialised entertainment, which is I watched it in sort of two hour and a half chunks, and that's not how it's meant to be watched. You're meant to watch it a week apart. I should have taken the summer holidays and done it that way, but that might make future similar projects quite hard to do. (laughs) But yeah, like I said at the beginning, I think also having Paperhouse to compare it to means that we're comparing it to a project with a, a lot bigger budget, a yeah. lot recourse to film level actors, and imagine <laughs> people with more time to work these things out, and not an ITV serial, which does seem like maybe towards the end they just had to get the drafts in. It does seem like that, yeah. The whole jumping around, abandoning the whole seaside aspect and mm. the magic of the actual light, the sort of suggestion that it was all real at some level. Here's a thing. Mm. There's a sequel. Oh, a, a book or a TV? Yeah, there's a second. There's a, there's a, a second book um, called Marianne and Mark, and it's really odd because it contains almost no supernatural elements whatsoever. It's basically a teenage romance. Huh. It's, it's set in Brighton, I think, or some 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 south coast. Anyway, yeah, it's really odd. And yeah, they they do eventually meet in the real world and go out with each other. Massive spoilers there for anyone, but <laughs> and they never mention it to each other. They never mention, oh, it's you from that nightmarish dreamscape of hell we inhabited. They never mention it. That's it's very strange. Like, okay, this is odd. One of the interesting things about this as well is there's an odd sensation about discovering that there's an old black and white TV version of one of your favourite films. Yeah. It's like finding out your favourite song is a cover of a song from the 50s or that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Like so many 80s hits are actually covers of 50s and 60s songs. Like, you know, I've got, I got my mind set on you by George Harrison. and So used to that as this 1987 quite upbeat pop disco-y sort of thing. And then hearing the 1960-61 version, which is very much of that era. But it's the same song and it's quite, it's quite odd. It is, I suppose, in some ways, it's like the Hammer version of Quatermass in the Pit versus the BBC six-part incredibly slow-moving atmospheric serial, which is I really like as well, but it's, it's not as I rewatch as often as I watch that week the Hammer film. It's a slightly dreamlike thing of discovering that there's a, a Born Identity starring Richard Chamberlain from 1988. I'd <laughs> forgotten very that. Very strange. Or, or a Captain America with um, John Wayne's son in it on a very, very thin motorbike. <laughs> that's a, that's a thing. But yeah, it's the same impact. It's like the weird thing. Like I've seen Paper House so many times. This is the first I've watched Escape into the Night. I'd heard about it. Obviously, I was aware of it for years, but I'd never tracked a copy down or anything. And it was initially exciting. I liked the visuals, but you could do it. I don't think you'd need four parts. We'd do it in three. No, I think so. To be fair, it's like three act. Just do just do a three act structure. Twenty five minutes a shot. You could. It's not that much shorter than Paper House in that case. No, and it isn't a complicated story. It's not. It's very, very linear, very, very ABC. There's no very few twists and turns. No, there's you know, nothing particularly unexpected. We don't need all that dialogue. We don't need all those scenes of the Doctor um, blustering or Mum being horrid or Miss Chesterfield being oddly tense. I'm not surprised she's tense. She's going to come around to that house. Can you imagine? <laughs> I wrote down that I, I wondered if her mum was hoping for an affair that she calls the doctor so often. <laughs> it's like she's bothering the doctor again. Oh, 
I like the fever sequence. Apart from the spinning rostrum was a bit corny. Yeah. The feverish aspect was quite good. Yeah, they're working with what they've got. It's, it's a very... I don't mean to sound like I'm being really horrible to it. It's really easy to pick apart, and it's not the most fun to watch. I, I'd definitely say to people to do it, to have a look at it, because it's it's interesting, but maybe, like, all six episodes, that, that's, that's what we're here for, to take that bullet for you people. <laughs> I, I do like when things can effectively evoke that kind of childhood fever dream sort of atmosphere. And I think the film does it very well. Um, Jacob's Ladder does it very well. That's one of the best, I think, evocations of feverishness. That's, they're very similar. I'd never thought of that. Paper House and Jacob's Ladder have got a very similar sort of vibe, really, haven't they? Yeah, very sickly. Sort of, you you feel quite ill watching it. Yeah. Feverish horror. Mm. It's, a, it's a genre that I like, but because I hate... The sort of hallucinatory fevers, the fever dreams that you get is my absolute least favourite form of illness, I think. It's horrible, um, isn't it? Right, I mean, like, you know, casual passing illness. <laughs> but um, that's why Paper House really works. I don't understand why they've broken a leg in this version. It really ruins a lot of the plot. And it's, it doesn't make no sense, reason does it? For it? Yeah, it, it does seem to have been a decision they've made up front arbitrarily. <laughs> And yeah. yeah, I can't quite fathom it out. There's no... In fact, if anything, it means the plot becomes more expensive because then you need the horse sequence, which you don't need at all. You could just... You could shoot in the school. You could do the paper house thing and shoot the opening of the school where she collapses. It's almost like there's an executive somewhere who's gone, it's very good, but do we? does she have to be ill? Can we have something else? Some producer <laughs> justifying their existence by, by sending down a note. It's like, oh... Well, we'll have to change that then. Broken legs are really big this year. <laughs> I demand a broken leg at every yes. single production that ITV will produce. Which, no, it's ATV made, isn't it? Because mm. it's got that magnificent ATV logo, which used to really, really obsess me as a child. Do, do, do. Yes, the one that obsessed me was Thames. Oh, Thames, obviously, is just awesome. Yeah, I think I didn't... I'd never been to London. I didn't really understand that it was the Thames skyline. I just thought it was some random shapes, one no, emerging exactly out of the other. Exactly the same. And when I did go to London, I was really disappointed that all those things aren't next to each other. Yes. In real life, it's not all on top. It's like, no, London doesn't look like this. And it rises out of the Thames at the start of every day, <laughs> making that noise. Selling big handle. Always saddened that Yorkshire television didn't have more of an animation to it. It's just a big Y, isn't it? Big yellow Y. It's just a big yellow Y that goes... What does it do? It's a big fanfare of trumpets anyway. We're in Yorkshire, it's going to have like a fanfare of trumpets on it. It has to by law. (laughs) Yeah, to the theme of On Il Climor Batat. Oh, that's right, yeah, of course. Which they used to play at the start of every day in your (laughs) Yorkshire television in the 70s and 80s. It's the Yorkshire National Anthem. It really was. When was it shown? Was it 1970? Was it actually shown in 72? It was made in 72, wasn't it? I believe it was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm born in 73, so I wouldn't, and nothing was ever repeated, so it's completely lost to me. And like so much, like so much else, but it doesn't, it doesn't have much resonance. It doesn't seem, so like when I watch Ace of Wands, I almost feel like I've seen this before, even though I can't possibly have done. But when I watch Into, Into Night, Escaping Tonight, it doesn't have that same feel, doesn't have that weird familiarity. I wonder if the black and whiteness is a bit, distancing in that regard that if it was in colour maybe it would fit more into the linearity or more into the yeah. story of TV possibly yeah it would I feel mean, more like a 1972 programme rather than a bit yeah. six, 1968 it feels a bit like you're quite right I think it's it's the same problem that time slip has because we've only got black and white time slip now of course and that has the same sort of not quite in the zone yeah not because it doesn't quite appeal in the same way oh my god I'm actually that shallow that I'm affected by the fact it's in black and white I'm a film studies teacher for goodness sake but I think it's sort of psychologically because I know what you mean like watching things like Chocky or Children of the Stones or other ones I didn't watch at the time or um, The Owl Service I found them very evocative and very affecting and they did feel like they were part of that childhood yeah. that I didn't experience, but it, it it felt right. But this does feel like it doesn't quite sit. It doesn't fit in, and it, it's time for me to reveal my terrible secret, which is I have the, I have this great grand meta narrative in my head that all ITV tele fantasy for children fits into one universe. Right. And I, I don't know if this actually fits into that universe. I mean, it, there's nothing to exclude it from my huge and frankly worryingly obsessively determined project but um 
I really, I just like this idea. They all fit together, but this one doesn't quite gel with it. Yeah, I think if it was in colour, it would, possibly, potentially. Because it does feel like an old Coronation Street or something, sort of texture-wise. It's very studio-y and black and white. and Very much. It's odd when things get lost so completely. I mean, we're used to archive TV that's completely missing, but for... No, in Escaping Tonight, obviously the colour version's gone forever, but also the, the memory of the programme is sort of lost in this case as well. And it's just, it's just complete, because people, you know, Children of the Stones is, is legendary. Ace of Wands has got, it's got a bizarrely significant fan base and many of the sort of, you know, Tomorrow people, obviously, but Escaping Tonight has just vanished. It's just, it's just faded away. And yes, even um, the Treasure Seekers has got, is it the, tre- yeah, the Treasure Seekers... Well, no, is it Enchanted Castle or Treasure Seekers, the, the one with the ugly wugglies in it? That's Enchanted Castle, I think, because it's a wish, isn't it? That's um, right, yeah. which ev- everyone remembers at least that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> and don't, it puts yes. me about, as we would say in my family. <laughs> <laughs> you could, I think you might be right in executive meddling, you know, because you can tell that there's someone who's clearly quite into their avant-garde cinema and I've seen a bit of art houses there. There's a bit of there's a bit of cocktail almost now and again, but then it gets stamped down upon <laughs> with stage school acting. I've had those sorts of notes trying to write really you know really interesting, strange horror, psychological horror, that sort of thing. And then the note you get back is the one thing that's interesting about it is the thing that they want to take out. Like, yeah, I really like this, but can it be more standard? <laughs> Can it be more like something we've all seen before? Which is weird, because the Owl Service is absolutely bizarre. Mm. And Children of the Stones is intensely peculiar. I think uh, Owl Service is entirely on location. Yeah, it is. entirely on film, isn't it? Yeah. And Cost of Fortune, obviously, for that reason. That's a um, a Granada production, isn't it? So, um, and although, yeah, there's some of the straight straight to video, shot on video ones from the time, I've got that quality as well. Bits of Ace of Wands do. Bits of, bits of the Tomorrow People are creepy. And I've got that element of bizarreness that Escaping Tonight doesn't quite manage to get. That's true, yeah. And the voices, actually the voices of the monsters in Tomorrow People are usually very similar to the um, standing stone creatures in this, but because it's the same technique. They're, really, they're, they're just using the, the ring modulator again. <laughs> yeah, everyone needs a ring modulator you know, if you're in the 1970s. <laughs> I wonder if it's simply the reaction of the characters that... They're not particularly. They they have temper tantrums and they get like you know they get angry or upset or perturbed about things, but they're not really freaked out by it particularly. No, they never actually seem very scared, do they? Given no. that they're about to get murdered by monsters, <laughs> yeah. there's a bit of like, no, turn it off, get away from the window, shout, shout in the same sort of way that you might see in a children's film foundation film about some jewel thieves. <laughs> I think so. It took me ages. It was nagging at me all the way through who Dr. Burton was reminding me of. Hmm. And it hit me by episode five. He reminded me of Mike Yarwood doing an impersonation of a forgotten 70s politician. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That really works. He he looks like Mike Yarwood. He does look like Mike Yarwood. And he's so, so, so lacking in bedside manner. It's hilarious. (laughs) Everyone's very old school. They apart are from, indeed. Apart from Miss Chesterton. You know, she's a modern she's a modern progressive teacher. She is, and, you know, yes. She's got a little fiance. She has, I was gonna say that. They make a big deal out of the fact she's got a fiance. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're gonna live together and everything. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know why they did I presume it's just a method to prove that it's um that there is a connection between Mark and Miss Chesterfield in real life. Yes, yeah. It don't really work, given that we never see Mark, which is kind of the point, and that's why Paper House and the Marianne Dreams work really well. But in this case, we don't get that sense that Mark's absent so much. That's the thing in in Paper House, you really feel Mark as a character, like the real Mark. You really feel him as a character. You feel his presence, even though you never actually meet him. You just yeah. see her dream version of him, but he's not quite as powerful in this. He doesn't quite have the presence. No, not at all. And it is, it is the actors, let's be honest. <laughs> yes. And then the script to an extent, but it's mainly, the script's actually quite nice. And I, Ruth Boswell, I want to say, wrote it. That rings a bell, got, yeah. She's got quite a lot of form for really good adaptations. I think the script's actually okay. It's just, it's obviously padding out parts that aren't needed, but those, char- those actors can't quite carry it off, unfortunately. 
the child actors are an easy target and it's a really hard script to make work on a low budget so that's no shame on them in the slightest no that's it i think that they're just too young and don't quite have the time and resources to really put in a good performance i wonder how much preparation time this whole thing had it can't be much by the look of it yeah and i think these studio things are often i think if like you're if you're directing a film you're on the floor and so you can talk more directly to people and you can you're, you're a bit more hands-on but i get the feeling with these studio things the director would be up in the gallery so you wouldn't quite have the same closeness to give performance notes and it's all very much just about getting it done yeah definitely it's just occurred to me it's an atv production that those accents that's not secret scouse that's secret brummy oh right I bet you that's uh, what it is. Secret Brothers could well be, couldn't it? it? They did. I mean, they generally did a very good job of being posh. They do indeed. We do, that might be part of it. You know, was it's not when I don't find it as easy to sympathise because the experience of the people on the screen is just that little bit beyond my own, which is terrible because you should be able to sort of connect to anybody. But they're sort of like, yeah, it's not really linked to. And the same that Paper House with its sort of shots of typical 80s comprehensive schools that really strikes a chord i know i feel like i know those characters in that setting yes and they live in a flat i mean it's it's quite a night they're not super super working class they're, they're no. fairly middle class but certainly not to the extent that marianne and her family are yeah with their horses and their <laughs> their horses and their <laughs> sausages and boiled eggs <laughs> sausages and boiled eggs are huge deal on this plot it's all that mark eats for ages because the only thing can transfer in <laughs> it's can draw <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I noted down a few sort of nice weird trippy effects so there's a bit where she's on the bike and she pedals backwards yes and it starts making a sort of crying moaning sound just arbitrarily which is quite nice that was really that was really cool wasn't it i liked that a lot There's a bit just after she draws the stones and she tosses her book onto the floor. There seems to be a bit of a, a groan on the soundtrack as it hits the floor. And I don't know if this is some of the sound leaking through from the next scene or whether it was a deliberate... I wasn't sure because there was so much soundscape involved that sort of I couldn't work out which bits are just archive TV being archive TV <laughs> and which bits are... Doing intent. the things it does, yeah. Yeah, and because of all the various unconnected voiceovers that take place, I was never quite sure, like, whoa, which 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 reality is going on here? Where, where am I supposed to be? It's easy to get lost in this production. The other thing that the film... I don't want to keep harking on at the film, but the other thing that the film yeah. has at least the budget and resources to do is that the objects she draws when she actually goes into the dream house, they look like her drawings. Yeah, that's a very important thing, I and mean, they don't in this particular. No, so she draws a radio, and it's just a, it's just a radio. But in the film version, they've built a radio that looks like her drawing of it. Yeah, I liked that, and also the the monstrous father kind of thing. I, I just everyone just watched Paper House. It's really, really good. <laughs> it's really, really good film. It's really creepy and bizarre. And I think it, it looks like it's going to be a children's film. And it's, even though it's based on a children's novel, it's not really a children's film. It's not at all, except in that it's a film which I feel, while it's not intended for children, it's one that certainly all the children really appreciate. Again, trying not to do spoilers, but the ending to Paper House is much more deeply disturbing on an emotional level. Spoiler block. There we go. And um, it makes me cry a lot. That's all I'm going to say. Right. That's my spoiler. It makes me cry a lot at the end of Paper House. And I think I think it needs that. Yeah. There's no sense of loss. When she, when she sees Mark at the end, and we know there's no connection, as I said before, there's no sense of loss. There's no like, oh, it's you, we'll never speak again. It's just like she gives, she gives a bit of a smug smile. So it's like, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's that kid. He clearly lives yeah. locally. Yes, oh, Mark. Oh, oh, that Mark. Oh, God, right, yeah. Oh, I would have saved it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which makes you wonder whether actually she's just dreaming about some boy she sees around and he's not Mark at all. Yes, entirely possible. I like that aspect of it, actually. There's nothing... While I've been attacking its lack of um, explanations and discussion and debates, I like the idea that it could just be Marianne in a really bad mental self state. 
effectively. And there's, it's never, without having the lighthouse at the end that the book has, there's, that's never really confirmed or hinted at that. So you just, they just literally leave it. There is a boy there. So yeah, she could just be looking out of window because she looks at kids going past all the time in a slightly scary way. She could just have watched that guy go past and like, he's her mark. That's it, yeah. That, that, that had only just occurred to me, but yeah, I think that, that could be it, couldn't it? And that the real mark that Miss Chesterfield talks about is nothing like him and is actually quite a sunny and amiable boy. Yeah. That would be nice to think of. <laughs> That'd be a nice <laughs> and not this vile tempered monster. Yeah, because I can't certainly can't see the boy depicted buying his teacher an enormous bouquet of roses. Not in the slightest little bit. I kind of feel that boy in that house is imprisoned there for a reason. <laughs> the powers that he have locked <laughs> these two away, like we need to keep Marion and Mark out of the universe. <laughs> I think to generally sum it up, it is good for what it is. Yeah. I think it's definitely worth watching. It is definitely odd. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely. And um, if you're only sort of sampling a little bit of it, sampling one of the later episodes with the, the stones is a really interesting thing to do because those are the bits that always get shown on clip shows and they're some of those powerful parts. I'd definitely watch it. I enjoyed watching it. It's just, it's not the best example of its kind and it just doesn't stand out to all the other versions of it. Or, or watch it episodically. Yeah. Watch it what you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks or something yeah. like that. So it, Take it, a summer to watch yes. Escape into Night. <laughs> it would be quite nice just to replicate a summer holidays or a, you know, spend six weeks pretending to be off ill and just watch Monkey and Windmill and things yeah. like that. Look and read. Yeah. <laughs> Boy from Space every time. I think of the three, well, certainly of the two, but from what it sounds like, of the three, Paper House is the one to go for preferred version i don't think Catherine store wrote the book really liked it that much but meh what are you gonna do yeah stephen king didn't like the shining yeah true i think i like paper house better than the shining though they're different they're different yeah. <laughs> <That's not laughs> i do like the shining i like the shining as a I, I like the shining as a fun place to visit oddly to drift through yeah the, the hotel full of ghosts yeah i don't necessarily like the horror bit so much as just the atmosphere of it mm. it's the same as halloween i really enjoy halloween until the killing starts exactly all the stuff yeah all the stuff around haddonfield in the daytime with leaves dead leaves blown about love it yeah murder start meh right well i think we've uh, we've tackled escape into night we've destroyed escape into night it's escaped from me now <laughs> oh that was bad Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. It was, it was really, really good fun. Well, thank you for coming on. Definitely, yeah. Thank you for joining me. Anytime, anytime. I'll back at any time. Oh, brilliant. Yes, do come back at some point. I will do. Thank you very much indeed. Find some other strange hauntological thing <gasps> you've not watched. It. I feel it could be tricky. You, you seem to know your stuff. I just I've watched a lot of it. <laughs> well. Uh, if you've listened to other episodes of Obscurios, I could never quite think of how to end these because Heather always does the ending part. <laughs> where she does the... Well, thank you for what. For, but uh, yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. Absolutely, thanks for tuning in. I love doing podcasts. It turns out that you go. <laughs> so, if you want to find RetroTube on Twitter, we are Retro underscore Tube. And how about your good self? You can find me on Twitter as Crow Violets, the plural, because Crow Violet was taken by someone who's never used it to my great rage. I'm Crow Violets on Twitter and my website, crowviolet.com, which is just me ranting about stuff and putting strange paintings up. So if that's your idea of a good time, come along and have a read. Excellent. Well, on that note, cheerio. Cheerio, everyone. I'm so bad at ending podcasts. You did it all right. It's fine. It's good.